You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. And if you've been coming to Ascend for any stretch of time, you know that through uh, church history, through the New Testament, through just seeing how the biblical authors interact with Scripture, we've come to the conclusion that the best way to preach and to have sermons on Sunday is to go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And that is typically what we do. But it's also appropriate to take topics and to preach on them from time to time. And so over the next three weeks, we are going to have a series focused on the topic of stewardship. Now, uh, somebody was interacting with me this last week and had watched online and seen that we were going to cover the topic of stewardship. And they were asking about this series on tithing. And I said, well, I, I know usually stewardship is associated with finances and usually pastors use it to try to get people to give more money. But that's not what this series is. The series is ultimately about stewardship. And to, to set that up, the best way I can is to think back on this experience of holding my daughters in my arm for the first time. And it, what's amazing is all three of them had the, the same experience. And, and the one that's most vivid is the, the first time, and that was my daughter, Meg. And I remember I had held so many kids in my arms. I enjoyed playing with kids growing up. And, and I was looking down at, at little Meg, just, just moments old. And I had that moment of realization that this is my daughter. It was one of those surreal moments where as a dad, you start to experience the, the flood of emotions that is unparalleled. You, you can't literally have those emotions to the degree that you do when you actually hold that child in your arms. But, but as I was thinking that this is my child, my daughter, I also had a very quick second thought. And that was this, she's not mine. You know, in that moment, I realized, yes, I'm her father. Yes, I will uh, have moments with her that nobody else will. And yet I realized in that moment, she, she's not mine. Because in that moment, I realized that this human being had been simply entrusted to me by the one who truly owns her. You see, that's the idea of stewardship. It's the realization that you don't own something, that you don't own someone, that you can't control them, that you don't have ultimate authority over them or over that thing in your life. In fact, they'll put this up on the screen. Stewardship is really both a mindset and a measurement. It's a mindset and a measurement. It's a mindset of understanding that I am managing someone else's property. Listen, friends, if you're going to join us for this series and you don't get this, you're going to not understand the series. You're not going to understand what the Bible says to us. Stewardship is managing someone else's property, but it's also a measurement of that owner on how we're managing and so as I think about our daughters, we are entrusted with them for about 18 years. But it's ultimately not about how they reflect us. It's ultimately about how we prepare them to be in relationship with Christ, to reflect, reflect him. And that one day, if God blesses them with a family and they hold their child in their arms for the first time, that they will, like us, recognize that this is an entrusted stewardship. And so that's what the next three sermons are going to be about. The stewardship of self, 
the stewardship of our spiritual lives and the stewardship of our supplies. And so this morning, we're going to be focusing on the stewardship of self. And you might think if you've studied the Bible, why would we start with self since the Bible moves us away from a focus on self? But let me actually entrust this to you. Would you write down Acts 20, verse 28? They'll put this up on the screen. Acts 20, verse 28, Paul is with the elders of Ephesus. Paul understands this is likely the last time he will see them. And so these are last words to these dear brothers before they say goodbye for the final time. And Paul tells these elders, elders that are supposed to be focusing on shepherding the flock and pouring into others. Look at what he says. Keep close attention to yourself. He says almost the same thing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself. This is intentional. It is reminding us that God understands that in order for us to steward our children, our marriage, our employment, it begins with stewarding ourselves. And a stewarding of ourselves recognizes that we don't own ourselves. That is something that we as Americans don't naturally understand. We think as Americans that we control everything, that we own everything. But the fact of the matter is, from Scripture, we don't even own ourselves. Ourselves and our life is a gift from the one who owns us. In fact, let me give you some passages, which, by the way, I already told you this, but let me remind you, we're not marching through verse by verse. I'm actually going to march through the outline. I'm going to give you a foundation from Scripture, and then we are going to be extremely practical. I've never preached a message like this. So if you're visiting, you chose a great Sunday to start. Listen to this passage, Acts 17, verse 25. It says that our very breath is a gift from God. Let's do this little exercise. Would you take a deep breath right now? And then please exhale. That was a gift. You didn't own that. It's been entrusted to you. Would you write down Deuteronomy 8.18? Moses reminds the people of Israel that even the power to gain wealth is a gift from God. That power is entrusted to us from the God of the universe. Would you write down James chapter 1 in verse 17? Every good and perfect gift is given to us from God. Listen to this, including suffering. Remember Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29. Suffering for a Christian is actually a gift from God. Everything in our lives is a gift from God. Every experience, every moment is an entrusting from the manager, from the owner of the property to us to steward well. We don't do this naturally. We are controlled by the tyranny of the urgent, aren't we? We fill our calendars with more activities than what is humanly possible, and then we wonder why we burn out physically, emotionally, and are weak spiritually. And so the question must be asked then, if we are going to focus on self, how do we steward our own lives? How do we steward what has been entrusted to us in ourselves? And it begins, listen to this, beloved, and I would encourage you to write this down with rhythms. 
with rhythms. You want to be able to steward your life well. It begins by this concept of rhythms, which you can turn there or it'll be up on the screen. This begins back at creation. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 5. At the end of day one, there's a phrase that will be a repeated phrase throughout the six days. By the way, I I think that each one of these days was a a literal 24-hour period. Not angry about it. We can agree to disagree. But I think the phrase at the end of verse 5 that gets repeated for each day is important for us to begin to see that from the beginning of creation, God intends human beings to live in rhythm. It says in verse 5, there was evening, there was morning, day one. Then would you look down at verse 14, and it'll be up on the screen as well. God creates lights in the heavens, sun, moon, stars. And they serve a purpose. It says in verse 14, let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth, to rule the day, to rule the night. Verse 19, there was evening, there was morning. Day four. So we see from the beginning of creation this template that God intends human beings to live in rhythm. But let me show you one more verse before we unpack the rhythms of a healthy individual life. Would you turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Most of us are familiar with Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, not because of the Bible, but because of the birds the band from the 1960s and 70s. For everything, turn, turn, turn. Maybe the first and last time that I sang that in a sermon. It says there is a season. This word season means that there will be contexts of your life that are unique to that season. This is helpful for us because we think about rhythms. We have to understand that not all seasons are the same. The pressures of this season will likely be different than the pressures of whatever next season God brings into your life. But then Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, and a time for every purpose or matter under heaven. Time is the more technical understanding of rhythms, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months that are set by a clock or a calendar. I share this with you because as we embark on the study of how we steward our own selves, it's important for us to understand that from the beginning of time and from creation, we are given a template for the importance of stewarding our lives through rhythms. That's the big idea you can see in your notes. It is creation that provides for us the template that allows us to order our lives according to healthy rhythms. Let's begin with one of five rhythms that I entrust to you, and that is spiritual rhythms. Spiritual rhythms. In fact, you can write this down, or you can look up on the screen, or you can turn there. It's John 15, verses 1 through 11. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples, giving them his final words. These are the last hours that Jesus would spend with his disciples on this side of eternity. And he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, listen to this, that does not bear fruit, 
he takes away. The point of this is not that works lead to salvation. The point of this is that works and the patterns of our lives authenticate our salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you want to know how your sins can be forgiven, if you want to know how you can be saved from eternal judgment, the answer is in Scripture, and it is completely depend on the completed work of Christ. It is Christ's death, it is his resurrection that allows you to be able to even have hope that your sins will be forgiven. Jesus says, if you are completely depending on me, then the patterns of your life will bear fruit. So if you are not bearing fruit, then the evidence is, no matter whether you prayed a prayer, no matter whether you're baptized, no matter whether you shared tears when you prayed that prayer, you're not saved. And so it's important from God's perspective that we as individuals steward our spiritual lives. And the way to do that is through rhythms. In fact, the rest of this passage talks about abiding in Christ. What does abiding in Christ look like? Well, you can write down Psalm 1 verse 2. Psalm 1 verse 2 says, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law when? Day and night. There's rhythms there, aren't there? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves as a corporate gathering of believers. We are to prioritize the weekly gathering for worship and instruction and equipping of the local church. We are not to forsake that. That is a weekly rhythm. And then it says, we stir up good works in love with one another as the week goes on. These are rhythms. God has entrusted with us the importance of rhythms. Which, by the way, let me give you just some, an outline for rhythms that I would encourage you to write this down because this then will become the practical opportunity for you that in all five of these categories of rhythms, you can put some suggestions that will point you toward health in all of these areas. The rhythms technical rhythms are daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual. Daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual. And you might say, well, that's not rocket science. I know, right? But how many of us are consistent in spiritual rhythms in these categories? But also, don't forget Ecclesiastes 3.1. There will be seasons of your life when the rhythms of these technical categories are a lot easier or a lot more enjoyable. So recognize that there will be times of grief when these disciplines will not be as enjoyable. There will be times with young kids where these disciplines will not be as easily accessible. But live in the tension of times and seasons. And let me give you some suggestions for these five categories. Number one, daily suggestions to cultivate spiritual rhythms. Number one, read the Bible daily. Now notice I did not tell you read a chapter a day or read three chapters a day or read one verse a day. That's the, that's the freedom in Christ for you in your season. 
But Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone on a daily basis, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Read the Bible. We live in an unprecedented time where the Bible is accessible to you. All of you probably came in with a phone or some sort of electronic device, or at least the adults in this room. Do you know that that device has the ability to ding you in the morning to remind you to read the Bible? Did you know that device can contain the entire Bible in it? Do you know that that device has apps that can actually walk you through reading plans? We do not have an excuse. We have a privilege. Daily, intentionally pray. I'm not just talking about, thank you, Father, for this food. I'm not just talking about... Thank you for this day. I'm talking about intentional prayer. And some great resources are the acrostic acts. Adore, confess, thank, supplicate. Create a list of people to pray for. Listen to Christ-centered podcasts. And we could go on and on and on. But daily, have activities in your life that are spiritual and stirring you toward God's word and toward Christ. Here's some weekly suggestions. Do what you're doing right now. Attend a weekly worship service at a Bible-preaching, Christ-centered, disciple-making church. Attend a small group. Here to send small groups are opportunities for you to build relationships, to do life together, to study God's word together. These are resources that God gives to us. Take prayer walks. I'll explain more about that in a moment. Put on your calendar a Sabbath. Now I'm putting air quotes around that. Because I'm not talking about a Sabbath in an Old Testament sense that was a requirement. I'm talking about a Sabbath in a New Testament sense that is a gift. But it's an opportunity to carve out a period of time where you are focused on the Lord. You're participating in life-giving activities. You're not being controlled by the tyranny of the urgent. Here's some monthly suggestions. Meet monthly with a mentor. A mentor who is going to challenge you, who's going to teach you, who their life models Christ. They're going to ask you intentional questions Put on the calendar a spiritual day, a day that you even consider taking off from work or carve out like a Saturday where the entire day is focused on spiritually positive, Christ-centered activities. Quarterly ideas. Put on your calendar a retreat where you're going to join with some other Christians and you're going to go someplace and get away from home. Maybe put on your calendar a fast. And you see what I keep saying? Put on your calendar. See, what happens so often is we get to a place where we're experiencing burnout. We say, things have got to change. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to do something. But there's a reason why we've almost gotten to a place of burnout. It's because the patterns of our lives are steering us away from these rhythms. So we do have to get out ahead of them and actually schedule them. Here's some annual suggestions. Attend a conference like Shepherd's Conference that's going to happen here, I think, next weekend in Sun Valley, California. Attend the Great Commission Collective. I'm already telling you about this. It's going to be in October 
of this year in Davenport, Iowa, and hundreds if not thousands of Great Commission Collective Church members are going to be joining us in Davenport to get taught the word, to worship together, to be equipped, to be better stewards of our spiritual lives. Put it on your calendar. Now, are these spiritual exercises and rhythms guarantees of spiritual health? And the answer to that is no. All you have to do is read the Old Testament and see an entire people group that had plenty of spiritual rhythms, and yet by the time Christ came on the scene, they rejected him. But just like the book of Proverbs, the reality is if you do these more often than not, your spiritual life will be healthy. So spiritual rhythms, but number two, physical rhythms. Physical rhythms, let me read to you some statistics. 93% of pastors are overweight or obese. 68% of pastors are experiencing high blood pressure. 50% of pastors have some chronic health condition. This is from the National, National Institute of Health. Listen to this, nearly 40% of U.S. adults are classified as obese. When asked how many of you ate healthy, less than 50% of Americans answered yes. When asked how many of you had five servings of fruit and vegetables over the last week, 42% said yes. We live in an age and a culture of a lack of physical health, and it's no wonder we have a lack of emotional health. Do you know so much of our emotional and mental health ties closely to our physical health? So it's valuable for us as a Christian to embrace this tension. Let me give you a passage of scripture. Some of you might expect me to go to 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the living God? That's, that's not what that verse means. That verse is building on an Old Testament concept that you had to go to the tabernacle for the dwelling presence of God. You had to go to the temple for the dwelling presence of God because of Jesus, the true Israel, the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. Now the dwelling presence of God dwells in us. That's what that verse means. But there is a practical application of that. I want to honor my God who dwells in me with a stewardship of my physical and emotional health. So let me give you some suggestions for daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual life-giving activities that will cultivate physical health. Number one, eat well. Eat well. Now, that means that you can pass on broccoli. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but it does mean that we should be paying attention to what we eat. Now, I'm not telling you how to eat. I'm just saying how many of us actually sit down and pay attention to what we eat for the purpose of being healthy? Get good sleep. I don't know what that is for you. I can read studies for you, but how many of us actually plan our calendars so that we can get good sleep? Get a stand-up desk. You know, when we got stand-up desks for us as a church, we... I used those, and it was fascinating. I tracked my health on my watch, and the number of calories that I burned standing all day versus sitting is significant. Now, again, I'm giving you these suggestions not because I'm doing them perfectly or because I'm the standard, but 
Because as my experience shows and studies show that if we will begin to live in this type of rhythmic planning, it will lead to physical health. Here's some weekly suggestions. Walk, exercise, do so with a team, do so with a partner, do so as you're listening to Christian podcasts, which by the way, what you're going to notice as I'm giving you these suggestions, a lot of these check multiple categories of rhythms. Here's some monthly suggestions. Designate goals for weight loss, for activity uh, numbers, for times that you are active. Check in on these goals on a monthly basis. But see, it's not just working. It's not just working hard with nutrition. It's not just working hard with sleep and with with physical exercise. It's also just doing life-giving, emotionally freeing activities. For me personally, it's video games. I love video games. But I've got to do that in moderation. I can't be addicted to it. I can't be doing it every day. I can't be leaving responsibilities with my family for the sake of this life-giving activity. But you can put it in there. Quarterly suggestions. Train for something. You know, Ben Aranch is such an example to me. He just ran a, a half marathon. He's training for a full marathon next year. I, I, Lord willing, will never do that. (laughs) But all you have to do is look at Ben Arant to see that he's not in that 98% of ministry staff that is obese. It takes intentional planning. It takes setting goals. In fact, use as a quarterly goal the ability to splurge on something that's life-giving. Save up money. Eat unhealthy for a day. For a day. Here's some annual suggestions. Plan for a marathon. Plan for a cooking class. Some of you may say, well, I don't know how to eat healthy. Well, put on your calendar to spend some money and go to a cooking class where you can learn how to cook more healthy. These are just suggestions, but they are not guarantees for physical health. But just like the Proverbs, more often than not, This type of a pattern of your life will lead to physical health and good stewardship of the bodies that God has entrusted to us. Number three, relational rhythms. Relational rhythms. You can go to Colossians 3 as a starting point. The phrase one another implies relationships with other human beings. And then Paul unpacks in verse 16 how we do that in the context of the local church. And then he unpacks how husbands do that with wives and wives do that with husbands. And parents do it with children and employers to employees and employees to employers. And there's this idea that God has created us to be in relationship with other human beings. But what I love about this is if you look at this passage, the relational interaction is, is, is supposed to be with the mindset of as to the Lord or motivated by the Lord. This moves us from just normal sociological relational activities to intentional activities. And this is where I want to camp out for just a moment. Because some of you may say, well, Jeff, I'm just not a people person. Some of you might say, people, 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 people. You know, the gospel overrules our wiring. The gospel overrules even our diagnoses. The gospel overrules our preferences. Let me talk to you who are compassionate people. 
You look for the people who are suffering the most, the people who are in the most needs. And if you're going to look at your relationships, the majority of your relationships are those types of people. Let me caution you that those types of people are the most draining. So you wonder why you get to a point where you are emotionally and spiritually empty. And some of you might say, well, preach it, pastor. Yeah, I want to be with people who I'm comfortable with. Let me speak to you. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to pour into others and bring them up toward Christ. So so what do we do? How how do we know who we're supposed to prioritize in our relationships? Well, guess what? The Bible helps us with that. If you're married, the most important relationship you must prioritize in your life is your spouse. Take that to the eternal bank. And there are too many stories in church history of missionaries and pastors who had incredibly successful ministry lives and yet their families were a mess. And guess what? They'll give an account for that. And there are plenty of people who who have, have spent time on their children at the expense of their spouse. And so when they are empty nesters, they look at the stranger that is living in the house with them and they don't know what to do. The Bible tells us we are to prioritize our relationships with our spouse. And if you've been blessed with children, guess what? That's the next level of prioritization. It's not your spouse and then work and then the church. It's your kids pouring into them with gospel-centered instruction, modeling to them gospel-centered lives. And then guess what? I would submit to you the next layer of priority is make sure you have people in your life that are moving you toward Christ. Moving you toward Christ. The, The people in your schools, if you have access to them the people in your neighborhood, the people in this church, and they may not align with all of the preferences and hobbies that you enjoy, but find one or two people that when you're with them and you walk away from your time with them, you've been stirred in your heart for greater affections for Christ. You've learned something about God's word. See, these are the priorities that you should have in your lives. And then look for people that you can serve by pointing them to Christ. So let me give you some rhythms for relationships. Here's some daily ones. Assign one meal to your daily routine where the tech is off. The technology is off. We're working on this as a family. We're not great at it, but we try to have during our dinner time, our phones are away. And they're not even accessible. Again, not doing it perfectly, but the times that we have and the times that those have become patterns have led to greater relational health. Look at somebody in the eyes without distraction when you're talking to them. This is a lost art. And I know some of you will say, well, I have a a diagnosis that doesn't allow me to do that. And, And I'm not making fun of this at all. I'm not making light of it at all. And you will have limitations that other people do not have, but it doesn't give you an excuse. Work at this. Engage with people. Seek to understand somebody as they're talking to you. Close the loop of a conversation. As somebody's talking to you, circle back and say, okay, this is what I hear. Am I hearing you accurately? These are all practical tools that will help advance us toward spiritual health. Here's some weekly suggestions. Prayer walks. You might have heard me already say this. I'll say it again. Uh, Prayer walks are invaluable for Sally and me. 
We, we've, we've figured out this route where we know where the halfway point is. And so we, we will talk about anything and everything in that halfway. And then we will pray for the second half. And, you know, we're checking a lot of boxes, aren't we? We're checking physical. We're checking spiritual. We're checking relational. Set up dates on a regular basis. Text, call, check in with others in your life. Here's some monthly suggestions. Have relationships that are intentionally stretching in your lives. Don't just spend time with people who agree with you and are going to affirm you. Intentionally encourage someone on a monthly basis. Here's some quarterly suggestions. Oh, this one's hard for me as a dude. Start a book club with another dude. I cannot believe I'm doing this, but I'm having a book club with another guy. And I am loving it. <laughs> I, I, I picked, picked a book. He, he got to pick this next book, and I'm not excited about it, but I'm going to read it. And we're going to learn from each other. And we prioritize this, and we put it on the calendar. We enjoy each other's company, and we're developing a relationship that if I wasn't doing this dumb book club, I wouldn't have. No, I actually love it. Engage with soul care here at Ascend. You know, one of the reasons why we struggle with relational health is because we don't sense that we're equipped to be in relationship with other human beings. Well, what if they drop a bomb on me? What if I don't know how to respond to their question? Do you know that soul care equips us to be able to navigate that? To be able to see below the surface of what somebody's sharing with me? To be able to actually guide them toward the hope and help that is found in Christ? Soul care at Ascend will help grow you in your relational health. Here's some annual suggestions. Visit your mentor in person. Visit a mentor in person. V visit somebody who in your life has made an impact. Maybe a coach from your growing up years or a teacher. Again, not a prescription, just some suggestions. Develop some rhythms in your life that will contribute to relational health. Number four, EQ rhythms. This one's going to be fun. EQ meaning emotional quotient or social awareness. Social awareness is, uh, in this current iteration of Americans, not something that we are successful with. And as Christians, unfortunately, we don't do much better. Let me give you a practical example of that that you'll probably see out in the lobby, maybe not after I've just mentioned it. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and somebody walks right into your conversation? That is low EQ, low social awareness. The most important person in your life should be the person who's right in front of you talking, not the person who you see out of the corner of your eyes, not the person who you can feel is lingering over your shoulder. But listen, if you're the one that's talking to that other pe person and there's other people that are starting to gather around, you have a higher social awareness and say, hey, you know what? I think we could spend more time talking about this, but let's, let's grab a coffee. Let's circle back to it. I'm going to let you talk to other people. Social awareness. One of the things we taught our girls growing up is if you have something to say to us and it's very important, you think it's important, and we're talking to somebody else, put your hand on our shoulder. 
that allows us to be able to understand you have something that you think is important and we want to honor that, but I'm in a conversation with somebody else. So grow your social awareness by letting us know that you're there, but also respecting the conversation that is taking place. I'll, I'll stop there, but I think you can get the idea. Let me give you a passage of scripture that I draw from among many that I think speaks to this. First Thessalonians 5.14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. How do I know that somebody is idle? How do I know that they're faint-hearted or that they're weak? I am paying attention to that person. I am seeking to understand that person. I am recognizing that a person is in front of me, and that's more valuable than speed and efficiency. That's a struggle for me because I love speed and efficiency. I love in a church to develop strategies and systems and ministries and to be able to have a workflow, but I've got to constantly be reminding myself that ministry is ultimately about people. But you know what, dear friend, if you're the one saying amen on that, Be careful that you don't throw out systems and strategies. Because if you've ever evaluated something like a trellis and a vine in agriculture, you realize that both are important. So grow in social awareness. Stretch yourself. Remember that it's about people and it's about efficiency. Here's some suggestions to be able to grow us in this. Number one, here's some daily suggestions. Always look behind you when you go through a door. This is the one like John MacArthur. John MacArthur says one of the things he likes to do in his life is to be able to say no to a banana split. And the reason for that is because he wants his body to know the body is not in control. Same thing with this. When you walk through a door, most of us are focused on where we're headed. And we forget that there might be people walking behind us. And how many times has the door that we just opened that we allowed to shut behind us slammed in somebody's face? A good exercise to grow us in social awareness is when you walk through a door, look behind you because somebody might be following. Listen more than you speak. You can do this on a daily basis. Here's some weekly suggestions. When you're on a prayer walk with somebody, listen to their prayer. Our sabbatical coach told us this, and he said one of the most important rules on a prayer walk is you cannot critique somebody else's prayer. I didn't hear my wife say amen, but she probably will in third service. I have learned more about my wife and where her heart is and how she's processing things, just listening intentionally to her prayer than in the conversation we had before Find life-giving activities that allow you to socially and emotionally breathe. Often we hide behind our busyness. Often the busyness of our life is what we use as an excuse to grow in social awareness. Here's some monthly suggestions. Ask for feedback. And I almost didn't include this because I'm not very good at this. And feedback isn't fun, is it? especially when the person you're asking feedback from is going to be honest with you. 
Well, there's multiple sides to feedback. Just because somebody gives you feedback doesn't mean it's 100%. But a mentor of mine told me that whenever somebody gives you feedback as quick as you can, get to your knees and own what you can own. I love that. Have people in your life who are modeling godliness, who know that the feedback that they share with you, even if it's negative, has as its purpose to build you up toward Christ. Put people in your life like that. And you will grow in emotional awareness and social awareness. Here's some quarterly suggestions. Read a book on social awareness. Watch training on social awareness. Create a short list of some who do it well and spend time with them. And then here's some annual suggestions. Meet with a social awareness coach. You know, many biblical counselors are good at this. Sign up for biblical counseling and come to them and say, hey, I, I think I need to grow in social awareness. You might find that there's a, a root in your heart that's contributing to your lack of social awareness. Take a personality test. Listen, personality tests do not define us, but they assist us. They help us understand where our leanings are going to be through our personalities. And by the way, if you have somebody in your life that's very difficult to be able to be in relationship with, ask them to do the same personality tests and then learn how you can interact with each other in a more Christ-honoring way. Of all five of these categories, this is the one that requires the most work and requires the most health. But... As we look at scripture, it's also important as we steward ourselves. Number five, intellectual rhythms. Intellectual rhythms. I'll go to scripture for this first. If you've ever read the book of Job, isn't it fascinating how that ancient man knew so much about the world around him? He was aware. He engaged with the intellectual reality around him. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34, the apostle Paul was extremely observant when it came to the Greek culture and Greek philosophy. When you look at Jesus, when you see the disciples, when you see the apostles, the kings, the prophets, the priests, they were very aware of culture, not just theology, not just spiritual. So here's some suggestions as we close. Daily, listen to podcasts that will intellectually stretch you. Here's a suggestion, Thinking in Public by Albert Muller. He will have people on that podcast that don't necessarily agree with me, that will stretch me on intellectual uh, Levels, and by the way, listen to it at two times speed. I, I do that, and sometimes that's a challenge, but you can get more done that way. <laughs> Here's some weekly suggestions. Uh, listen and read books. Listen to and read books from people who have convictions on the other side of your convictions. Stress test your opinions. Here's some monthly suggestions. Meet with somebody who's more experienced than you in a particular area. Ask intentional questions. Here's some quarterly and annual suggestions. Learn a new skill. Read books that are intellectual, non-theological. Here's one I would recommend to you. It's called Power and Liberty. It's about the original documents that founded our country. So many of us throw around Constitution, especially people who are more political as Christians, people who may, might lean toward Christian nationalism, and we throw in all of these, these, these concepts about the Constitution. Read first source documents and learn about the Articles of Confederation. Learn about the Federalist Papers. Learn about how the Constitution intended the three branches of government, uh, of government to, to function and then compare that with where they are today. 
I'll stop there. This does not guarantee intellectual health, but I can promise you that more often than not, it will lead to growth. So so what do we do with all of this? Well, Well, we stop and we recognize that God cares deeply that we steward our own lives, that our own lives are not our own, that we don't ultimately control them. And, and God has graciously given us rhythms that we can have that I commend to you that if you don't have any or most of these rhythms in your life, start today. It will lead to an even greater stewardship of yourselves. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had this morning to be extremely practical. I thank you for the way you've used your word and other Christians in my life in these areas to cultivate rhythms of health. I pray that we would focus on our lives, not for our own good and what we can get out of it, but as entrusted opportunities for us to bring glory to you. And as we intentionally lean in and begin to develop better routines and disciplines in these areas, I pray that you would allow us to see what you can see, and that is growth and health. That we would more accurately reflect Christ and draw others to him. So that one day in all five of these categories, we can stand before you and hear those most desired words, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray these things in Jesus' name.